This is the story of a great woman, multitudes of great women. And uh, if you'd like, we'll read under Jem together the text. Together. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. The Bible is packed full of great women. And you know, every time I've heard uh, women's lib discussed, most every time, I've found in my heart a pity for the men who indicate that the, the reason why a woman should stay at home is because she's inferior. The reason why she should stay at home is because she's superior. And it needs a superior person to train and shape the molding character of the child. And the man can't do it. He doesn't have enough sense. And that's the reason why women were made to stay at home. It isn't that they're inferior. I don't know where in the world men got that idea from their big thoroughbred registered ego. Of course women ought to have the privilege of holding any kind of an office, as far as I'm concerned. And the only handicap, the only limitation to that is the fact that, that the character of mankind is conditioned on a mother. There's no work that's done in this world that can be done without the mother or somebody shaping the character of that child. Look at Moses. Behind Moses was whom? Jochebed. Behind Jesus Christ was whom? A little maiden. You can go on and on and on through the Bible. Deborah, the prophetess. Huldah, the prophetess. Philip's four daughters who did prophesy. On and on and on through the Bible. Tremendous women. They may be called the weaker sex, but my friends, theirs is the most tremendous responsibility ever committed to mortal. Amen? That's right. So, brethren, if you ever hear men talking about women's lib, I pray the Lord that you will not let yourself be a partner to discussing how women don't have the sense to do what men have. My friends, they have too much sense to go out there and all that crazy stuff where the men have bungled everything all up. They need it in the home to bless the children, to train those those developing minds. My friends, there would never have been a Moses. There would have never been an Exodus as far as Moses was concerned without that tremendous, that tremendous mother, right? Go through the whole work. Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy. He said, oh, I'm so happy for the faith that was in you. First, it was in, the, in your grandmother and then your mother. My, wasn't Paul? Paul surely got it all mixed up, you know. You'd have thought Paul had said, it was in your father and your grandfather. No such thing. 
I thank God for great women. And if any time any of you dear ladies or girls, if you're ever tempted to think that you're not doing a wonderful work for God, remember a quotation that's found from my favorite author in the book, The Desire of Ages, page 250, and it goes like this. Listen to this. He who loves Christ most will do the most good. Who? Not he who is most greatly uh, highly educated. Not he who is in the public eye. He who loves Christ most will do the most good. Look at the little woman who bathed Christ's feet with her tears. And old Judas was so upset. And Jesus said, I want you to know that she is a part of the everlasting gospel that will circle the earth. The woman that cast in two mites all her living. What a tremendous gospel message that has been down to our day of unselfishness. Thank the Lord. So don't you think it would be a good thing, brethren, the ladies don't have to listen now, wouldn't it be a real good thing if when we go home tonight, all of us men tell our wives how much we love them? <laughs> be a good thing. I guess I'll have to tell this as a little extra. One Sabbath morning I was preaching and I noticed at my right, right near the front, there was a great big deacon, big one, about five foot tall, four feet wide, uh, not quite that much. And sitting beside him was his wife, and they were looking in opposite directions, <laughs> you know. And they didn't look happy. And my heart went out to them right then in the service. <laughs> and I just interrupted myself. I didn't look at them so they'd know it, I thought. And I said, men, when you come home from the meeting, go home from the meeting this morning, tell your wife you'll love them. And I was looking off over here. And I just hoped he would get the message because I thought, I bet you it's been a long while since his wife ever heard him say, you're pretty sweet, you know. And I thought, maybe, Lord, help it to get through. And you know, that night it fell to my task to go out and pick them up and bring them to the meeting. And they sat in the back seat. The two of them just about filled the back seat. <laughs> and on the way in, the man began to chuckle. I didn't know he could chuckle. And he said, Pastor, you know what you told me to do this morning? What I told you? He did get the message. Uh, and I, I tried to <laughs> appear uh, ignorant. That's not hard for me. Uh, uh, what was that? He said, you told us to go home and tell our wives that we love them. Oh, I, oh, that, oh, that's right. I knew all the while that was right. I didn't say it wasn't right. He said, I did. I said, you did? He said, what do you think she said? I said, what did she say? He said, I, I, when we got home, I said, honey, I love you. And she said, what's happened? And he said, I repeated again, I really love you. And he said, she said, are you crazy? And he said, I kept repeating it until he said, and he began to chuckle some more. He said, until I finally convinced her. Didn't I, honey? He said. 
And she chuckled back. She said, yes, honey. And I tell you, I don't know. I seem to get the, <laughs> the humor out of things. I thought, he's calling her honey, and she's calling him honey, and they're big. Well, two big chunks of honey ought to have more honey in it than two little chunks of honey. I said, praise the Lord. Now, they're great women. God wants us men to appreciate our wives. And he wants us to appreciate God's handmaidens everywhere. Praise God for the mothers in Israel. Don't ever think, my beloved friends, dear ladies, don't ever let the devil tell you that your life is meaningless. He who loves Jesus the most will do the most good. And it doesn't make any difference how much he is in the public eye. He may be over in a corner, but he'll still, in the kingdom to come, as they trace through, you'll find that that soul that loved Jesus the most, little mouse in the corner, will have done the most good. And that's true with any of us men. Same thing. And you know, it doesn't depend on how highly educated we are or how intelligent we are. Aren't you glad? You know, I never cease. I never cease to thank God for being so good to me. I just thank him from the depths of my heart. From the time I started in the ministry until today, and I don't think I've ever told an audience this before, I've looked in the faces of the, of the people to whom I've spoken, and I thought, my, my, look at those men. Any of those men are more intelligent than I am. But God is willing to use you and me if we'll just let him do it. Just surrender our wills to him. And he's looking for, for big heads. He's looking for big hearts. He's looking for humble hearts. He's looking for people who will say, Lord, not I, but Christ. Be honored, be loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ. Be seen, be known, be heard. Well, let me share with you in Andy's experience, and I think this is chapter 11 in our book, uh, the answer was created. It's called a great, a great woman, beginning with page 88. And we've listed here a number of great women of the Bible. And you remember, some little child asked me if these were true. Friends, every time we write a book, we check and double-check. Because Jesus is true, and he wants true. He wants us to give the truth. Now, we left Andy last night in college. He was now in college, having all kinds of trouble. You know why he was having all kinds of trouble? Because Satan, when he sees you get answers to prayer, how does it affect Satan? Anybody. It makes him as mad as the devil. Because he what? He is a devil. And that's his business, is to try to, to get us to become discouraged because of circumstances. And Andy was receiving one miracle after another, but he had a family of, of five. Three children, his wife and himself, she was working her head off, so to speak. He was doing the same. And yet, how in the world, taking full work, college work, how could he ever support his family? And finally, as they were about to start, another semester, whether it was the third or fourth semester he was there, I don't recall. 
They were ready to start another semester, and he received a letter from the business office stating that he owed the college $855, and he must pay that before he matriculated for the next semester. But more than that, he must also advance $225 more. See, they didn't want to take a chance. Nearly $1,100. Now, there are four promises that Andy and his family claimed, and I want to share these because, my friends, you will want to claim promises. He claimed James 1.5. I asked him what kind of promises he claimed. He said, I claim James 1.5 for wisdom. And those of you who can quote it, will you quote it with me? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a, the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So he, he, he asked God for wisdom. And do you know when you ask God for wisdom, or any other promise that you claim, let me make this suggestion. Try it out. Look up in your imagination to Jesus. Don't ask just for it. Ask for Jesus in the form of it. What do you mean? When I ask for wisdom, what am I asking for? 1 Corinthians 1.30 Christ is made unto us wisdom. Who is made to me wisdom? Jesus Christ. So I'm not asking for it. I'm asking for Jesus Christ, for the life of Christ in the form of wisdom. So you have a right to look up in simple childlike faith. Dear Jesus, I ask you to give me wisdom. Impart to me your life in the form of wisdom. And he'll do it. Ask. Ask in faith. Don't waver. There's the ABC. Ask. Ask in faith, that's believe. Don't waver, that's the see. Another promise that he claimed was a promise that his mother claimed for that steaming hot, hot supper when he was seven years of age. That's Malachi 3, 8 to 12. And I'll quote the latter part of it. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not what? Open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. There shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. How about that? And he said, my family claimed that promise on our knees again and again. Lord, we are, we're not merely, I'm not merely devoting myself to preparation for soul winning, but Lord, we're returning to you our tithes and offerings. Do you know the man who fails to turn back to God his, his money and tithes and offerings is hurting himself? He's hurting himself. If you want a new dimension in Christian living, give God that which is his in tithes and offerings. It'll do something to yourself. I made that resolution when I was a little boy. And my friends, I'm not boasting, didn't even plan to mention it tonight, but my wife and I for years have turned back to, to charity almost 50% of our income in one way or another. And you can see how poor we are. You know, doesn't look like I could stand it another day. No, no, no. I will open you the windows of heaven. Another promise that Andy claimed 
was Matthew 6, 33. <laughs> but, quote it with me if you want to, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, temporal things, shall be what? Shall be what? Added unto you, not subtracted. There was a fourth promise that he claimed a great deal. Borrowed it from the very days when he was a little boy talking about the Sabbath. And it is Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14. He says, If we will call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and will honor him, not finding our own pleasure and seeking our own ways and so on, then you will delight yourself in the Lord, and the Lord will cause you to ride on the high places of the earth. He said, Dear Lord, I ask you to come to our rescue. They were weeping out, crying out, pleading, agonizing before God. There they got the letter. He said to his wife, The Lord is going to do it. There's your sea of prayer. The sea of prayer is saying, Lord, you're doing it. Whether you feel like it or not, that's the sea of prayer. You are doing it, Lord. You can't lie, Lord. It is taking place. Tell God that. Whether you feel it or not. He said to his wife, I'm going to get some money. He went down to the post office, hoping to be in a letter. Came back, no money in the letter. And that brings us to a very important promise. Isaiah 42, 16. And this is what it says. Isaiah 42, 16. Oh, sometimes I claim that promise as many as five times a day. Other times, maybe once or twice a week. And this is what it says. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 16. I will bring the blind by way that they knew not. By way that they what? They knew not. Don't put God in the corner. Don't tell God how he's going to do it, right? His wisdom is infinite. Don't pit our creature wisdom against his infinite wisdom. So Andy came back home. There was no money. He went back to the post office again. Came back home. No money. Went the third time. No money. In the meantime, Sabbath day came. A little lady who had been a member of, uh, of a church of which Andy had, in, where, in which Andy had helped to do some evangelistic work invited Andy and his family over Sabbath noon to eat. And while they're eating, this sweet little lady, I've met her personally, this sweet little lady asked him how everything was in their home and in his school. And Andy told her, you know what he told her? He didn't say, I'm greatly in need. Don't do that. He told what God had done, the miracles that God had performed. That's what the Lord wants you and me to do. Let's not go crabbing around. Let's let men and women know that God has been good to us. So all he did was to just share with her the marvelous answers to prayer. And he had a lot of them. The next Thursday, I believe it was, <clears throat> she was to come over and see them, and a blizzard was coming. So she hurried over a day ahead of time. And she gave Andy's wife an envelope. She said, now don't open this till your husband comes home tonight and both of you can open it together. In the meantime, this had happened. In spite of the fact that Andy was told that he couldn't matriculate for the next semester unless he had this nearly $1,100, he went down to the, to the uh, 
recreation hall where they were matriculating the students, got right in line, just like he had all the money. He had a little speech all prepared. And when he came up to the credit manager, who was either okaying it or saying you can't, he had a little speech prepared, and the little speech was like this. You know, last summer, I worked off $1,600 that I was in debt, and I can do it again if you'll give me a chance. When he got up to the line where the credit manager was, the credit manager gave him the little slip okaying it. He said, what? And he said, well, I'll still explain. He started to explain. The credit manager said, listen, you're holding, you're holding up the line. Go on. He started a couple steps. Uh, 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 let me. He said, you're holding up. On. Go on. Three times the credit manager had to tell him, God says, I'll answer you in a way you don't know. Amen. When he and his wife opened that envelope that evening, the little lady had this letter. She said, Dear brother and sister, I have gone over to the business office and I have told them that I will write a note. I will sign a note for the $855. I don't have the money, but I'm working and I will be able to pay them at the rate of $86, I believe it was, a month until it's paid. And they have accepted that. Talk about great women. She didn't have the money, but that woman was willing to sacrifice. The Holy Spirit had spoken to her. And there's another promise that you may want to put down. It's Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. It says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. This lady worked off that $855. At another time, she'd sent them an envelope for two days before that with the five $20 bills I think in it. You know, my friends, they were so happy to think of what God could do for his people. Somebody else would hand them maybe a $10 bill. This is the way they're moving forward in the Lord. Oh, my friends, you know it's a wonderful thing to know. Did you notice the title of our series? What's the title? The answer was created. This is biblical. In, in Romans 4.17, it says God calls the things that do not exist. Romans 4.17. He calls things which don't exist. When God calls a thing that does not exist, what happens? Anybody? It does exist. When at the creation, Jesus said, all was dark. He said, let there be light. What happened? There was light. Instantly. The answer is created by our creator. He creates in men's minds a determination to come to somebody's rescue. It is a process of creation. He creates healing in the physical being. He creates a desire in the human heart for something better than the world. The answer is created. He calls the things that be not as though they were. When he calls them, they are. Where is that text? Psalm 33, 9. He spake and it was. He commanded and it stood fast. The answer is created, friend. 
You don't have to feel it. You don't have to see it. You don't have to sense it. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What is your problem tonight? Wouldn't you like to look right up in the face of God and as you claim a promise, remember, we're not just claiming words. We're looking up in simple faith to a person. Jesus was the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible is Jesus Christ in the form that we read it. It is his life. The Bible says so. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and their life. John 6, 63. So as we claim a promise, don't look out. Look up. Lord, you promised. You promised to give me wisdom for this emergency. Or you promised to give me healing. Or Lord, you promised to save my children. Oh, Lord, you promised to take care of this financial problem. I got myself into the mess. Lord, you'll help me out. You will. You're the one that promised it, Lord. You who died on Calvary or gave your beloved son, you're the one. And he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Amen. How many of you have some little thing that you might share with another for a couple minutes of any blessing or any thought you've gotten from this service? May I see your hand? Praise the Lord. Now, right now, we're going to take just a few minutes. Will each one of you choose somebody else, not your wife or husband. Will you choose somebody else, walk over where they are, and sit right beside them and very quietly share between the two of you some thought you have. And if you don't have a thought for them, they will have for you. Just five minutes together. Will you do it? All right, thank you. And I will too. This is fellowship. <clears throat> and the Lord wants us to do this. He said, they that feared the Lord did what? Spake often one to another. And the Lord heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.